Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We have a dear friend of ours uh, with us today, a dear friend of ours personally, as well as World Prayer Network. She's been with us several times. Eli Kohanim. She served as U.S. Deputy Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism at the State Department. Um, She uh, was a Trump appointee, where she helped inform and carry out policies and related initiatives that countered global anti-Semitism. We are honored to have her on our board of the Latino Coalition for Israel. She's traveled with us on our missions to Guatemala, to Brazil, and we have several other very important events coming up this year that um, Ellie is a part of. We are honored to have you with us. Thank you so much, Ellie, for joining us. Pastor Bromnik, it's always my deep pleasure to be with you, and I see so many good friends on the screen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Um, As you said, uh, I feel like this conversation is taking place in such a heavy time while there's war in uh, in Ukraine and the Russian invasion there. And at the same time um, in Israel, we witnessed five people getting murdered just yesterday in a terror attack, 11 11 Israelis, I should say, killed in the last week, um, both by Israeli Arabs as well as Palestinians. And, uh, and I can tell you from talking to friends in Israel that the mood is, um, is not like it normally is in Israel. You know, the Israelis are some of the most resilient people I've ever met. And, and usually when there are terror attacks, you see the very next day, people will go back to the site where there was an attack and they'll sit and they'll have coffee and they'll have lunch right where it took place the day before, what I'm hearing from friends today is this real heaviness that's taking taking place in Israel because people are remembering the trauma of the intifadas, they're remembering the suicide bombings, they're remembering the waves of terror attacks. And uh, and I think Israelis are bracing themselves for the worst. And, And I can't help but feel that Um, they might be onto something as horrible as it is for me to imagine that. Um, I would tell you that there's a number of of, uh, terrible, terrible mistakes from the Biden administration that I believe are leading to this terror wave. The first would be just the very fact that they came into office and they kind of distanced themselves from Israel. They, They didn't show the kind of support that the Trump administration showed for Israel. Secondly, we saw just this week when uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken went over to Israel for the Negev summit. The summit was this historic gathering where for the first time on Israeli soil, Israel um, hosted the Arab foreign ministers from the Abraham Accords countries. So that was the foreign ministers of, of the United Arab Emirates, of Bahrain, of Morocco. They also hosted the foreign minister of Egypt and Anthony Blinken came as well. And so. Um, what the what the original point of that gathering was was to figure out what the united um, effort was going to be to counter the Iranian threat. These are all countries that see Iran as posing a serious, if not existential, threat to them, and also to figure out what they were going to do in a Middle East where the United States 
seems to be pulling out of the region. That was the original agenda for the meeting. And you see Anthony Blinken come into the meeting and he kind of changed the agenda. He started to go back to all these talking points about how we, you know, this Abraham Accords is good stuff, but we need to see peace with the Palestinians. We need to see, you know, we need to see the Israelis making resolutions with the Palestinians. And we all know that there's nobody wants peace with the Palestinians more than the Israelis. However, the Palestinians are not proving themselves to be peace partners. And the, the tremendous success of the Abraham Accords was the fact that the Trump administration proved to the world that the Palestinians no longer were going to veto peace. They were no longer going to be an obstacle to peace, which is what they have been. And so Blinken, with his visit and with his comments and with his statements, um, you know, kind of brought us back to this pre-peace time. And it was very damaging. The other thing was that he had all these meetings with Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. And we've seen the United States continue to, to go back to funding the Palestinian Authority, which uses that money for pay to pay for slay, which is um, is the PA's funding of terrorists after they commit terror attacks, and you know it's not difficult to see that you know to connect the dots to understand that again when the Biden administration distances from Israel when they seem to be putting all the pressure on Israel, pretending like the Palestinians are not the ones who are recalcitrant, that they're not the ones who are the obstacles to peace. Um, he also, Anthony Blinken also spoke about settler violence and again, pointing fingers at the Israelis. And what happens? Well, now we have Jews dying on the streets of Israel. We have Israelis dying on the, on the streets of Israel. Um, and I should say that, that the, the victims were not only Jewish, um, I believe that there were Muslim, Jews, and Christian victims. Um, which all is a testament to the fact of Israel being an incredibly diverse country. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very serious what the consequences of U.S. policy are. And, and truly, I believe that when the United States signals weakness in its support for Israel, that is when we start to see blood flowing on the streets of Israel. And, and that's what we saw this week. So it's really with a very heavy heart. And I know that there were more attempted attacks today as well. Um, fortunately, I think that, uh, that the authorities were able to support. I, I heard about two attempted attacks today. Um, so fortunately, I don't think that the, the perpetrators succeeded, but uh, I think Israelis are bracing themselves for what could come. And, uh, and I have to also say that uh, going back to the Iran deal, which, uh, which Pastor Bromnik uh, suggested that I would speak on tonight, the, what the Iran deal does is that it just green lights the terrorists. Because one of the most immediate uh, outcomes of this Biden-Iran deal is that uh, we're going to be giving about $7 billion in cash, most likely to free U.S. hostages. And the Iranians are going to get access to another billion dollars, $90 billion, excuse me, of cash that has been frozen uh, due to sanctions. And everybody knows that when you give this Iranian regime funds, what they do is they then fund their terror proxies. So they fund their proxies, Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the Houthis in Yemen, they, they uh, fund militias in Iraq. 
And so everyone understands, the entire region certainly, and they're all up in arms against this, the entire region understands that if the United States gives access to $90 billion, that what that means is you're gonna see an increase in terrorism. And so all of these, all of these policies, every, all of these actions and decisions that the Biden administration is making, it all, again, it's a green light to the terrorists that they can go ahead, they have, they have the okay. And, and so we're starting to see the, we're seeing the outcomes right now. The, um, the other factors in the Iran deal that um, I'm sure you've all heard about it, and, and I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about all the dangers of the deal, but, I, but I'll mention real quickly, one of the main issues is that the deal goes right back into the original 2015 JCPOA. So when the Biden administration came into office, they told us they're going to negotiate a longer and stronger deal. Well, it looks like after over a year of negotiations, they're coming back with a shorter and weaker deal. The, the deal as it originally stood has clauses that expire in only two and a half years from now that uh, restrain Iran's nuclear enrichment activity. So we're talking about two and a half years the Iranians are gonna, are gonna legally be, be uh, given the all right to start their enrichment activities again. And the entire deal, all the, all the clauses kind of start to, the clock starts to tick and, they, and everything starts to expire in, in 2024, 2025. And the entire deal expires in 2031. So we're talking about nine short years from now. And, uh, and we all know, we've seen that uh, since, since the beginning of the Islamic revolution in 1979, this regime has been on a march forward. They've uh, been just not stopping on this path to trying to gain nuclear weapons uh, capability. And so there's no doubt, I think, in any, any serious person's mind that come 2031, if not before that, the regime will will very much fast track their uh, their their nuclear enrichment and all their activities to uh, to acquire nuclear weapons capability. The other issue with the deal is also that it doesn't even address Iran's ballistic missile capability. Now, I was on Fox News last week and I said, you know, what do you do with a ballistic missile? Well, you put a nuclear warhead on it. There's no peaceful purpose to nu to uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles and ballistic missile developments. There's, no, there's nothing peaceful that you can do with missiles. And the deal doesn't even touch on that. So we've seen that the Iranians have been continuing to, uh, to develop their missile capabilities. And again, there's only one reason why you would be developing those missiles, because then you expect to get to the point where you're going to do your nuclear development and then put those warheads on the missiles. The, the thing that's incredibly dangerous that very few people talk about is that the Iranian regime has a presence in Latin America. So right on our doorstep, they have a presence, they have a Hezbollah presence in the tri-border area, which is the, the area between the borders of Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. And, uh, and so this is an area where there's narco-terrorism, there's, again, all kinds of... Um, of weapon smuggling, it, it, no one knows exactly what's going on there. It's a criminal narco-terrorist area and Hezbollah is there. And so you can just imagine, uh, 20, come 2031, let's, let's pretend that the Iranians are gonna follow the rules. 
nine years from now, they've developed their ballistic missile uh, capabilities. They're okay at that point, according to the international community, it's perfectly legal for them to now go ahead and enrich as much uranium as, as they need to, to create nuclear bombs. What happens next? Uh, I, I'm not one for exaggeration, but I just don't think it takes much imagination to, to think about the consequences of a country that both Democrat and Republican administrations for over 10 years now have labeled as the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. We've designated the Iranian regime as such for over 10 years now. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to think what these guys are gonna do as soon as they can do it. And, uh, and I think that uh, we would be foolish to think that they're, they're only after Israel because they consider America big Satan. That's what they say. America's big Satan, Israel's little Satan. So, um, so, you know, I wish that I were joining you with a more positive outlook and more positive words, but um, I think that we're living in very dangerous times and it's, it's, it's in everywhere you look, whether it's, it's this crazy foreign policy and what the Biden administration is doing with the Iran deal, what they're doing in the Middle East altogether, what's happening in the war in Europe, the the lies and gender confusion and and the crazy horrible things that they're trying to teach our children i mean everywhere you turn i i, I think that there's it's very hard to to find uh hope and uh and so i'm so glad to be with you on a prayer call because i'm truly believing that um, that's that's the only answer for all of us is to unite for all good people to unite and to continue to pray and fight with each other and uh, fight with each other for our common good. And, and so on that note, you know, while I'm not optimistic that there's any way to sway this administration, I can tell you that members of Congress do have some power here. Um, one of the issues that's come up recently with the Iran deal talks is that the Iranians are demanding that United States lift the foreign terrorist organization designation on their IRGC, which is basically their terrorist network. And um, the reason why they want us to do that is because it would lift sanctions on them and give them complete freedom of movement. We heard um, Secretary Blinken and others in the administration say, oh, well, you know, it's not a big deal for the US to lift these FTO designations, it's only symbolic. That's just not true. It's not only symbolic, there are actual uh, very hard consequences to having a foreign terrorist organization designation. That's why such a designation exists. And so um, one of the things that we are seeing is that members of Congress have been pushing back very hard on this issue, on the notion that the US might lift the FTO designation. And we're even seeing some Democrats uh, push back on this issue and we're seeing them even pushing back on the Iran deal altogether. People like um, Senator Ben Cardin and Bob Menendez have spoken out against the deal uh, and, and I very much congratulate them on doing so. So I, I think that um, beyond our prayers, which are so important right now, the other action item is for everyone to pick up the phone and send emails to all of your elected representatives in Washington. So your um, representatives in Congress, your senators in every state, even if they're Democrats, it's really important for them to hear from their constituents. I know from friends who uh, were staffers in these offices, 
they have to log in every single phone call and every single email that they get. And so um, they really do keep track of, of when they're getting a lot of um, reaction from their constituents on an issue. And so I do encourage everyone to please, please take this action and please do contact all of your electeds in Washington and let them know that you don't want them to let the Biden administration uh, pass this Iran deal. There's two ways that Congress can take action against the Iran deal. First of all, they can speak out and make statements and, and put pressure on the administration. But um, I wrote an op-ed in Newsweek about this. Uh, in After 2015, when uh, members of Congress saw the Obama administration kind of pull the wool over the eyes of Americans with this uh, originally Iran deal. What the Obama administration did was they, they kind of made the deal and then they ran off to the United Nations. And, uh, and that way they bypassed Congress. So in response to that, uh, there were members of Congress who passed the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act of 2016, I believe it's the INARA Act. And what INARA did was um, make it into American law that any, Iranian nuclear agreement has to be submitted to Congress for approval. And it can only be approved once there's congressional approval. So meaning that the members of Congress have the power not to approve such an agreement. The other um, possibility is to treat the Iran, uh, Iran deal as a treaty which again requires congressional approval. So, um, so there's two paths of looking at it. One is an agreement, the other is a treaty. And, uh, and so there, there's much that members of Congress can do. And it's, it's, you know, it's where I hold out hope that, uh, that we can get our voices heard on this issue. Um, thank you all so much. And I know that uh, we talked about possibly taking questions. Mario, you're muted. Sorry, thank you so much, uh, Ellie, for that briefing. <clears throat> As I mentioned uh, to you on our call, um, I, I cannot believe that this is just pure incompetence on behalf of the Biden administration. Um, Bo, their, Russia is acting on behalf of the United States to bring about the deal. The Russian negotiator, as well as Iran, mentioned that they got far more than any of them ever expected. We're now in this situation, potentially in, in ultimately in a war over Ukraine with Russia, but Russia is negotiating this on behalf of the United States and uh, seeks and will be getting um, enriched uranium and some sort of... Uh, financial benefit, et cetera, et cetera. And if we need oil, we can buy it from Iran. It does not make sense. What is the Biden's administration's goal with pushing this Iranian deal? Well, Mario, what we know is what the outcome of it will be. Um, basically what, what, what would happen if they succeed is that the Middle East region right now, our historic allies were the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Israel, and these other Sunni Gulf countries like the Emirates, like the Bahrainis, these countries that made peace with Israel. And these countries are all moderate Muslim states. Um, they're all countries that for the you know, most part uh, care deeply about their own citizens, they care about their prosperity. 
And, you know, it's the kind of Middle East that you want to see in the world. It's the kind of, it's the kind of place that, you know, it's the kind of region that, that we all want. The Iranian regime is, is the opposite of that. They're radical Islamists. They want to export their revolutionary ideology. They believe in, in taking over the region, if not the world. And so, so if you think about what the outcome of this deal is, it, uh, it distances the United States from our traditional allies. It distances us from Saudi Arabia and Israel and, and all of those Gulf Sunni states. And it brings us into relationship with this radical Islamic regime. It's gonna throw the power balance off in the region. The Saudis don't as of now have a nuclear bomb capability. They don't have nuclear weapons. So, you know, the way things stand now, the Iranians would win that race. We are expecting that there will be an arms race, but at this point, the Iranians have the leg up. And so they would, again, they would beat, beat the Saudis in that race. And, uh, and so it's, it's not good. I mean, I, I don't know how any American administration can imagine that they would, you know, disassociate from the Saudis and, and associate with the Iranians. It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing good that can come of it. So I can't make sense of it. All right. Um, how soon, if there's no real accountability, I don't think there'll be any accountability from the United States. How soon will Iran be nuclear capable? And what would Israel have to do at that point if they're, they're going to have to defend themselves alone? Yeah, the Israeli question is, is another really tough question. We, what I've heard from Israeli security experts is that they always believed the way things would work is that they need to secure their um, their perimeters, let's call it like that, their borders, right? So they need to secure themselves from Hamas in Gaza, from Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, now you've got the, an actual Iranian military presence in Syria. So you see all those strikes, those Israeli strikes on Syria. The Israelis always thought that they needed to, to take care of their close proximity, their close borders, and that the United States would take care of Iran. With this administration, certainly, I think the Israelis are understanding that the U.S. would do no such thing, right? We're about to sign this whole deal with them, giving them billions of dollars and strengthening their power and, and you know, putting them on the pathway to a nuclear bomb. So I, I have to believe the Israelis understand that the U.S. is no longer there for them. And obviously, that puts them in a very tight spot. We saw Senator Lindsey Graham in Israel this week, and uh, Lindsey Graham made some sort of a statement he, he said something like, the way this movie is going to end is with Israel bombing Iran. Now, I wish that were an easy, uncomplicated thing, but there's a number of factors that make that complicated. Number one, the Iranians have built uh, a number of their nuclear sites underground. They took their lessons from Israel's attacks on Syria and Iraq's nuclear reactors, and so the Iranians started to build their sites underground. The Israelis, as of now, do not have the weapons that they need. Um, this, is another, this is another item that I've written about in the pages of Newsweek, where I said, well, the United States should give Israel the, the kind of bunker buster weapons that they need that could actually penetrate uh, low enough to actually be able to eliminate these sites. 
The other issue for Israel is that the Iranians have also spread out their nuclear sites. It's not just one, it's multiple sites. So this would be, you know, I think a complicated operation. I'm not a military defense expert. That's, you know, those are the facts that I know. I just don't think that this would be such an easy thing for Israel to do. And, you know, let's be real, the moral and right thing would be for the United States to be with Israel and to lead that kind of operation. The, the only um, positive comment I can make on that is we have been seeing a lot of joint exercises between the US and the Abraham Accords countries in Israel. We've been seeing um, both naval exercises, we've been seeing Air Force exercises. And so it looks like at minimum, they're signaling to the Iranians that, uh, that these countries are learning how to do exercises together. And, uh, and in fact, uh, coming out of the Negev summit, there was a statement that um, Israel's foreign minister, Yair Lapid, said that uh, there's going to be this continuing structure and continuing coordination that's going to come out of the Negev summit. And he even said, you know, the Iranians should be worried. So I think he was, you know, making some sort of a threat to the Iranians. So, you know, that, that is something I hope for. I hope it's all true. I hope that there, are, there will continue to be these joint exercises. I hope that these countries will learn how to work together and coordinate their, their you know, military capabilities and activities. And so maybe there is a possibility that as a joint effort, they could conduct strikes on Iran if necessary. I don't think that they, any of them, think that's the best outcome. I think they believe that the best outcome is not to put the Iranians on a nuclear pathway in the first place. And second of all, if the Iranians become a true danger, that it would be in the United States of America as the greatest military power on earth that would take the lead on that action. Okay. Uh, Jim, back to you. Ellie, I think you may have already answered this. I had to step away for just a moment. So if you've already answered this, just say you've already answered it. You don't have to repeat it just for me. In the minds of Israeli leadership, have they established a definitive red line at which point the Israelis would take a preemptive strike with Iran? Jim, you know, that's a great question. It's, it's not something that they share publicly. I'll tell you with the public statements that they've made. They've said over and again that they view Iran as an existential threat. And they said that they don't see themselves as a party to the Iran deal. They have said, and um, the head of the Mossad has said, that they will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear bomb. So those are the statements that they've made. And, um, and I've spoken to some of their security folks and I've asked them, you know, is Israel committed to the Begin Doctrine? The Begin Doctrine was Menachem Begin's doctrine that said that they will never allow another Holocaust, right? And that's what a, that a nuclear Iran is a potential Holocaust for, for Jews. And, uh, and so the, I've been told, yes, you know, the Begin Doctrine is still in place. Nobody has wavered their commitment to the Begin Doctrine. So it seems like that commitment is there, Jim. The question, again, about what the Israelis can do. So we just, I just spoke at length about the military strike option. I mean, the other scenario is that they continue these very successful sabotage uh, efforts that they've had, all of these... Um, these um, nuclear sites and other sites that suddenly kind of blow up out of nowhere, nobody knows what happened. Um, these very, um, very bold um, activities that take place, covert activities inside Iran. So when the Israelis eliminated, everybody believes it was the Israelis who eliminated the Iranian nuclear scientist Fahri Zadeh. 
Um, those, you know, those are the kinds of actions, the, the covert uh, actions seem like the type that Israel could continue to do without taking a huge risk of, of an entire war uh, escalating from it. As uh, my wife and I were listening to you here, uh, this, I think, is at least your third time or more on World Prayer Network. We were just thanking God for you. We were just, I'll let Rosemary speak for herself, but how eloquent you are. Yes, we just are so grateful that you are an Esther for your nation and able to share so brilliantly information so that we can pray and um, believe with you, stand with you. And thank you, Ellie, for taking this time to educate us so that we um, can be united in believing for Israel's full protection as well as the rest of the world and stopping this enemy from continuing. Well, and, and thank you to, to hear uh, someone talk like you that was in our State Department. Yeah. We just praise God for you. Thank you so much, Ellie. Uh, back to you, Mario. Thank, thank you, you for thank you for everything you you and Rosemary just said. Amen to all of that. Thank you. Uh, we so appreciate you, Ellie. I know that you have to go. Uh, we so appreciate your time and briefing us. I know that uh, we'll have you back on. Uh, God bless you and your family. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. At this time, uh, we are honored as well to introduce Daniel Pollock, who's the Director of Government Relations for ZOA. Zionist Organization of America. Uh, we have Mort Klein, the um, um, chief, chief officer of ZOA uh, a few months ago. Um, Dan uh, directs operations in Washington at the ZOA office. Uh, ZOA is the oldest pro-Israel organization in the US since 2007. In his position, Dan educates members of Congress, their staff and other governmental officials on the relationship between US and Israel, as well as policy related to the Middle East. The main focus uh, of, of Dan, uh, this administration is no, uh, appears clearly to be no friend of Israel, not only not being pro-Israel, they're pro-Iranian and worse. Um, so I want, uh, Dan, thank you so much for being on to brief us on what just happened with the State Department issuing um, their grant to give a million dollars to organizations to demonize Israel. Dan, thank you for joining. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed Ellie's presentation as well, if that's the word for anything to do with Iran, enjoyed. Before I start, I just wanted to say that if it's not expressed enough, I want to thank all of you for being pro-Israel. The reason the United States is a pro-Israel country is because of Christians like you, Christians activists. And we never forget it, and we really appreciate it. So thank you all for all that you do for our country, the United States, and for Israel, the country that we both love. So thanks. Yeah, this uh, State Department thing, it, it came out in February as a routine thing published in the Federal Register. They put out these grant proposals. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the federal government, there's a whole bunch of these, they're, they're very common. This is a proposal of funding opportunity that came out in February, $987,654, a grant to what they call non-governmental organizations, NGOs. And the, the group in the State Department that's doing it is the Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. And uh, it's just incredible to read through this grant proposal. 
It says it's looking for accountability on human rights in Israel, what they call the West Bank and what we call Judea and Samaria, and Gaza, which of course is only under the control of Hamas. And it's supposed to, it's, it's just incredible the words that they put. It's providing psychological support for survivors of atrocities amongst other things. Just the idea that the US government State Department document is saying that there are atrocities that Israel is responsible for is itself kind of earth shaking and really a statement about who are the people that are running things in the State Department. They want NGOs with proven ability to operate in these areas. And so we know what those groups are. These are NGOs that we're very familiar with that are generally funded by the European Union and, and other anti-Israel entities, which uh, already have a horrible track record of taking the anti-Israel position time after time. So it's really a new development for there to be an overt grant and it's a million dollars. The related fact, uh, just, just to give you guys just some additional goodies from this, uh, you'll be happy to know that sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression will be considered when awarding these grants. So it's not good, bad enough that they're just gonna be uh, going after Israel. It's, it's the most ludicrous thing in the world. If you know what's going on in the Palestinian Authority, uh, it is not a good place for the expression of rights or anything along those lines. So it's, it's really kind of bizarre, but that's the way our government grants all seem to be written. It's like standard boilerplate in these things. The other thing to say about it is that there is a woman named Sarah Margon, who's the nominee to be the Assistant Secretary of State to oversee this office. And ZOA has opposed her confirmation. It's still pending in front of the committee. But even without her being present there, this is the kind of thing that the pro-terrorist people in the administration are pushing. And this is why it's so important that a, a proven enemy of Israel like this Sarah Margain not be given a permanent status by the US Senate. Um, she is an advocate of uh, the boycott and investment and sanctions movement against Israel. She used to work for the HRW, Human Rights Watch. That was her job in Washington. And you may remember there was a big to-do about two years ago when Airbnb was gonna boycott Israel. She was the chief cheerleader for, for that effort. So she is the pending nominee for this. And the point I wanted to get across to everyone is that the people that are appointed into government positions are the policy of the government. When you have someone like this running things in the State Department, this is the kind of thing that we see happen. Even without her being present, the other people that have been appointed by President Biden have similar points of view, and that's why something like this would happen. I just wanna mention, um, again, following up with what Ellie said, we have uh, 11 dead Israelis in one week. As she said, additional attacks. If any of you have been to Jerusalem, into the market there, the beautiful market where they sell everything, there was an attempted knifing of a policeman last night. These attacks are continuing. They're not making the US news. Even, even the 11 dead people are not being 
really focused on. And it is something that one of the people that was killed was a Christian Arab Israeli policeman. And, and it just gives the lie to this whole story that Israel is some kind of an apartheid state. One of the heroes of stopping that attack uh, in B'nai Brak was this Christian Arab Israeli who was proud of his Israeli status. We have the, the last text he sent to his father, um, their conversation. It was in Hebrew, of course, because he was, he was the future of the Middle East, a Christian Arab who died for the state of Israel and is a hero. So with that, I'll take questions. If you have any, I, I know you have other, other speakers. I, I would also like to add something about the Iran thing, but in the interest of time, I'll, I'll, I'll de defer to your, your, your time. Thank you. Uh, Jim, I, I know you are limited as well. I'd like you to go first if you can on your questions. Jim, are you still on? Well, thank you. Uh, it's very sobering. We've seen uh, the uptick in violence I was reading a report today on how much violence just in the last few days. It's quite stunning. I don't have a question except to say our heartfelt condolences. It's, 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 it's grief causing to read what is happening there. Anything more? Rosemary? Yeah, we want to just tell the intercessors and all. This is Ramadan. This is a period in Muslim, uh, in the Muslim calendar of their efforts to incite violence and so-called destroy the enemies of Allah. So they are fasting all day. They don't fast during the daylight. They fast and pray to uh, their religious entity for the destruction of the Jewish people and the Christian people and anyone who will not convert to their religion. So we have to know we've been declared, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And the very least we can do as believers is to also fast and pray because the Lord of hosts himself will fight with us for us and bring especially protection upon his people so um that may be something people may, may not be aware of the calendar is so significant uh especially god's calendar but there are other calendars opposing it and we are in a time of ramadan let me just add to that if you didn't know the 1973 arab israeli war we call the yom kippur war they call the war of ramadan it, it occurred at, during that month as well. And they, they started it on purpose during that time. Yes, especially um, every, at the beginning of Ramadan, which was last week, and then the end of Ramadan, but every Friday, which is their sacred day, it is um, an extra effort to kill Jews, to incite violence, to bring destruction upon those who are not members of their religion. Thank you for that good report. We sure appreciate what you have just shared. Mario, back to you. Dan, I have a few questions. Uh, number sure. one, um, is this a concerted effort? Do we know on the attacks now in Israel, is it being bolstered by Biden administration's weakness and literal alignment with radical Iran and on this deal? And then uh, thirdly, is there, uh, do you see it increasing uh, towards some sort of potential regional war? So the first question, there's no doubt there's been continued incitement by the Palestinian Authority, the, the group that runs, you know, Abbas is the president. 
Under duress, he gave a condemnation to the latest terrorist attack, but it was very soft. And the same night he gave the condemnation, some people may know Fatah is the biggest component of the PLO, the, the group that Yasser Arafat headed. And the chairman of that group uh, gave a, a pep talk at the home of the terrorist uh, who was the, the murderer, and they claimed great credit for the attack, and they said that they're going to continue them. The Biden administration, in fairness, is frustrated by this, but their reaction is predictable. It's to blame Israeli extremists, which is the most bizarre possible reaction. Uh, yes, of course, American weakness in the world, the deal that we're making with Iran, who they see as their hero, the Palestinian Authority, uh, they are um, related to why this is happening. But I think the biggest reason is, as Ellie said, they're seeing the peace that these progressive moderate Arab countries are reaching with Israel, which are purposely leaving out the grievances of the rejectionist Palestinian Authority and the Arabs who don't want to make peace. And this is one way they have of drawing attention back to themselves. As for the prognosis, unfortunately, uh, Israel is a free country and uh, a knife is not so far so hard to find. And so it's uh, unfortunately very easy to take a knife and, and to make an attack on a policeman or to kill, in this case, two Ukrainian refugees were killed by the terrorists in, in addition to the Jews and Christians that were killed. Uh, it's very easy to do that in a country like Israel. So I'm not sure that it will stop, but I do know that the Israelis are ready to deal with it. Um, so my last question, um, I know that ZOA put out an article a while ago, and you probably need to update it, on all the anti-Israel cabinet and administration appointments. Can you just briefly discuss how many people who are the main culprits, what's going on with our administration? So if my, my boss were here, Mort Klein, he would say that the appointees of this administration are the worst that we have ever reviewed. We always look, and there are always some people that we're not happy with. Uh, the very worst um, is the chief negotiator with Iran, this guy, uh, Mali, Rob Mali, who unfortunately is actually descended on one side from Jewish ancestors, but uh, has spent his whole life being a cheerleader for terrorists. And he is now the person that was selected to make the negotiations with Iran. His, uh, some of his deputies, three members of his team have resigned in protest because they don't wanna be identified with this horrible deal that's probably about to be announced in the next few days or, or a couple of weeks from now. Uh, Dan Shapiro, who was the ambassador to Israel from President uh, Obama, is kind of a, he was in favor of the JCPOA, the Iran deal. He just resigned as well from the team. If you go to our website, zoa.org, you'll see a list of all of the people that have been appointed by this administration of anti-Israel records. They include uh, John Kerry, um, just a, a tremendous number, one person after another. 
some of them in very responsible positions. And they have history of, in a couple of cases, actual anti-Semitism, and in other cases, just anti-Israel activism. So they range in importance from cabinet level people that we've opposed. We are the only Jewish organization that has been not happy with the, the even the envoy, Deborah Lipstadt, on anti-Semitism because she's a, a partisan and she excused um, anti-Semitism when it was when it occurred uh, amongst political allies of President Biden. It's very troubling. And it's it's the answer to your question about why they would do this over and over again. We don't know the real reason for it. We can only speculate. All we can do is talk about each independent nominee and how they have to be fought. There are also several people that don't require Senate confirmation that are already serving and there's nothing that anybody can do except bring publicity to their extremism. Um, what can we do? Do you have action items uh, yes. on uh, the Iran deal to get to our senators that, that everyone could be involved? What can we do? There's, there's two things that, as Ellie said, everyone should contact their senators, both of their senators and their congressmen. The Iran deal really should be a treaty and the treaties have to be ratified to be binding by the U.S. Senate, actually by two-thirds vote. In addition, we have this vehicle that should be applying on the Iran deal to your member of the House of Representatives. You should tell them to oppose it, and it should come up for a vote. The Biden administration is claiming that it's not a new deal, and they're doing their best to not submit it at all for congressional review. But there are other things, if you have a chance to contact your senator and congressman. There's also this continued effort to open up a consulate in Jerusalem for the United States, even though we've moved our embassy there. And this would be a separate consulate to the Palestinian Arabs that would somehow, it would also be located in Jerusalem. And, and that's almost implying a redivision of the city, which I know that all Christians are, are probably not in favor of. It's a, it's a Jewish city. It's the city that Jesus walked in and it should be united and under Jewish sovereignty. Finally, there's an effort, President Biden has flirted with the idea of reopening the PLO embassy in Washington, which is also something that should be opposed. So if you contact your Congressman and Senator, as Ellie said, they do keep a record of those calls. They do keep a record of emails you send. And every time that you raise your voice, it's a good thing. And also, like you've done personally, I know I, I saw you in Washington, uh, Maria. You came to Washington and you lobbied with us in person. And when you have an opportunity to do that again, to come to Washington, try to make a meeting with your congressman and senator and speak to them about these issues. Great. We thank you so much uh, for your time, uh, Dan. Uh, Sharon is with us as well. She's briefed us before and will in the future. Thank you all for what you do. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, our next speaker uh, has a short presentation that we're going to get into prayer. A dear, dear friend of ours, uh, Luke Moon. Uh, Luke is the deputy director of Philos Project. Uh, Philos Project is one of our key partners of the Latino Coalition for Israel, very involved from the beginning when we uh, founded the organization. Um, Luke was a missionary with YWAM for 12 years, lived, worked, and taught in 45 countries, 
He holds a BA in Biblical Studies uh, from the University of the Nations, an MA in Global Politics from Regent University uh, with a very exciting project on how else practically we can show solidarity with our Jewish brethren. Luke? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mario. Uh, Mario's a good friend of mine, and, and uh, also Connie, it's good to see you. Uh, hopefully, I know a few others here. My name is, like it's Mario introduced me, Luke Moon, Deputy Director of the Fields Project. I started last year after the conflict in May. I was asked to go and cover a, a uh, there was going to be an, an anti-Israel rally uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey, which is a, a large kind of Orthodox Jewish community in, in, in New Jersey, uh, north of kind of northern part of the city. And um, I was asked to go and cover that for a Jewish publication that was concerned about what was going to happen there. There had been a lot of attacks against Jews randomly in New York and New Jersey, L.A., Miami, all over the country. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do more than just go in and report. And so on the way, I, I, I went by CVS, I got a, a, a big piece of cardboard and I, a marker and I wrote, I stand with Israel and Jews. And I went and stood, it was me, uh, actually by myself, because it was Shabbat, right? So none of the, the Jews weren't able to show up because of Shabbat, but it was me against 250 Palestinian activists. And I was getting screamed at and yelled, laughed at, spit on, mocked. But I thought, you know what? I, I'm doing this by choice. So many Jews around the country and around the world, uh, they, it's not a choice for them. That's, the, that's what they endure on a regular basis. And it, it appalled me as a Christian to... Uh, to, 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 to see that kind of vitriol towards the Jewish people, which I've, I've seen for a long time. And, and then in, uh, in the fall, in Burlington, Vermont, there was a BDS resolution at the municipality in Vermont, and I got word of it about noon, and I googled how long would it take me to get from my house to Burlington, Vermont, and I, I mapped it at five hours, and I thought, well, I could be there in the, the meeting starts at seven. I can I can stop and have lunch on the way, and so I got in my truck and I drove up to Burlington, Vermont. And again, there was a, a large number of Palestinian activists. There was uh, in the in the meeting hall. There was about fifty Palestinian activists and about fifty Jews, and me, Luke Moon, the, the non-Jew. And uh, again, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm actually kind of tired of showing up to these things by myself. And so in December, we were, we were asked to be a part of a, a campaign, a national campaign on anti-Semitism called Shine a Light. And we organized uh, to be in eight cities in eight days to, show, to, to shine a light on anti-Semitism and stand in solidarity with the Jewish people. And, and during that week, we launched a program that we're calling the Philos Action League. And the Philos Action League is, is a membership community of Christians who commit themselves to showing up physically when there is an incident of anti-Semitism anywhere in the country, anywhere, physically showing up, not just hashtags, not social media declarations, physically showing up. And it can be, you know, we've done, we've done everything from there was a restaurant in New York that was vandalized with anti-Semitic anti graffiti. Uh, and so I 
we, we organized uh, about a dozen Christians to show up. Uh, the symbol of the Fields Action League is a white rose. It harkens back to a group of, of uh, young uh, professionals and college students uh, who were against the Nazi regime in Germany. And we walked in with a dozen roses uh, and a dozen of us had a meal at that restaurant in solidarity. So that was that was that was a uh, culinary activism at that one. Uh, just last week, there was a there was a bomb threat at a JCC just outside of Chicago. One of our our Philos Action League members uh, took a bouquet of flowers to that JCC and said, listen, the Christians in this community are standing with you. I'm telling you, it is, it is incredibly powerful when just one shows up. But I, my goal is by the end of the year to have 10,000 people who have become members of the Fields Action League. And whenever there's an incident, I can call on, there can be one, there can be a dozen, there can be a hundred, there can be a thousand of us showing up. And I'm telling you, it will make a huge difference because I think people are tired of the social media stuff. I think they're tired of the social, just declarations and changing your logo. All that's great. I don't want to like deny that, but it's, I, it, we got to get beyond that. We, you know, the Bible says we are not, uh, we are, we are spirit and flesh. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where we are digital creatures. Right. So it's, it's about time we get past the digital and get back to the physical because if we're the hands and feet of, of Jesus on this earth, we better actually use our actual hands and our actual feet to make a difference. Awesome. From, from the digital to the physical. I like that. Exactly. That's so a, I think, a, Mario, are you going to put the link in the chat? or Yes. Um, Alan, can you put that up, um, the link and the page, so that people can reference it? Thank you. It's the Philos Action League and the link. That's the page. Do we have the link? I just, I'll just, I put the link in. I just, I could do that right now. Mario, the link is in the chat. It's been added several times so far, so we're good. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. It's there. Excellent. Um, it's philosproject.org. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Philos means friend in Greek, and that is our, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're being friends uh, with the Jewish people uh, and standing in solidarity with them. I mean, one of the things that I, I get asked a lot, Mario, and I think this is important for people to understand, one of the things that I get asked is like, Luke, why is it, why is, why is anti-Semitism, you know, different than other forms of hate or other forms of of, of religious bias against other religions. I mean, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of issues around hate that you can get behind. And I, I tell them, actually, I put anti-Semitism in the same place that I put my other first principle uh, ideas, like pro-life, I'm pro-family, right? And I put, I put I'm pro-Jewish there. Why? Because the Jews were the people by which God brought his moral revelation into this world, and we know about other forms of hate are wrong because we read it in the in the word of God that was given on Mount Sinai to the Jewish people. So it, it is important for us to understand why we know certain things are wrong. We know it because of that moral revelation, 
And it's important for us to therefore stand in solidarity with the Jewish people because they're they're God's uh, chosen people and the devil wants nothing better than to see them destroyed. I think that's a big part of this Iran deal. Um, it is irrational uh, that, it, that, that the administration is so zealous to allow the Iranians to have uh, the tools, not just the nuclear bomb, but the all the money that would be given to Hamas and Hezbollah and the Syrians, and it just inflamed the Middle East in a way that that you know we we watched it for ten years. We watched kids wash up on the banks on the shores of the Mediterranean, and we're going to give the Iranians another billion or more hundreds hundred billion dollars so that they can then spread that same violence across the Middle East. It's, it's absurd to me. So I think it's important for Christians everywhere uh, to stand with the Jewish people, stand with Israel, and uh, do that physically by joining the Fields Action League so I can know where you are. So when something happens in your neighborhood, I can give you a call and say, we need you to come down here, or we need you to go there. We need you to bring some flowers to the JCC or the synagogue or bring some bring some rags and some and some turpentine because there was a swastika written on a wall. That's the kind of thing I want Christians to be able to do. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Luke. It's great seeing you. Uh, Likewise. Bless you and, and your team. Take Thank care. you so much, Mario. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.